Okay, as I said, we've been working through this series uh, on the work of the Holy Spirit. This is week number eight. Uh, and the reason we've taken so much time out this summer to really go deep into who is the Holy Spirit and what does he do is for us as a community, it's quite an important distinctive. It's something that we're passionate about, about seeing more of the Holy Spirit or work amongst us in our community, about us seeking for more of them in our own lives and together. So we've had seven messages so far. We started off talking about who is the Holy Spirit. We talked about the Holy Spirit and our, our, our adoption. We talked about uh, what it is to walk by the Spirit, uh, how this Holy Spirit helps us in our mission. We talked about gifts of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit is involved in our Sunday worship. Um, we were talking a few weeks ago about the unity, how the Holy Spirit brings unity amongst his people, his community. And this week we're going to answer perhaps the question that might have been, for some of you, the question that might have been hanging over this whole series is we're going to be asking, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? How does that happen? And we're going to dig into the Bible to try and understand uh, a biblical perspective on what that means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we're going to read uh, one verse from Ephesians 5, and then we'll pray. It says this, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we, uh, God, we, we thank you that to be filled with you uh, is a far greater joy than any earthly joy that we could ever experience. That we might have had seasons in our life, or this might even be our story now, that wine or alcohol is something we seek after to give us some kind of filling, but we know how that ultimately doesn't give us any sort of real fulfillment. But we know that to come and be full of your spirit is joy is true joy. And God, that's, our, that's, our, that's the thing that we're hungry for in our own lives for this community is more of you. Jesus, we want to be a community that are passionate to see more of you at work in our lives, to experience more of you, to know more of you, to be shaped and changed by you and by your power. So we invite you to come and help us this morning. Help us to understand what the Bible teaches us about this issue. Uh, and I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd be at work within us to give us more of a hunger, a desire for more of you in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As I said, I was in Berlin uh, last weekend. Uh, they started the church there. They started there about eight years ago. Uh, they're now reaching about 200 people. Uh, in a venue right near Checkpoint Charlie in Berlin, a wonderful church. And um, one of the people there told me a story about how a couple of months ago, uh, a friend of, well, a lady in, who's in the church, I didn't actually get to meet her, she was away that weekend, but a lady in the church was on uh, the, the S-Bahn, which is like the metro in Berlin. Uh, they'd had a prayer meeting together, uh, I think it was on a Sunday evening, and she was just traveling home after this meeting. And uh, she's just sitting on the metro, and she felt the Holy Spirit speak to her, that a lady sitting opposite her on the metro, she felt the Holy Spirit tell her what that lady's name was. 
Uh, she didn't know her. She'd never met her before. Um, so she wanted to be obedient to what she felt God was saying. So she walked across uh, the other side of the train, sat down next to this lady and said, is your name, I don't know what the name was, but is your name X? And the lady said, oh yeah, that's my name. And uh, this uh, lady who's part of the church said, oh, well, I feel that uh, God told me what your name is because he wants to tell you how much he loves you. And this lady just burst into floods of tears uh, and ended up becoming a Christian a few days later. And also her partner then became a believer in Jesus a few weeks after that. And they're going to be baptized in a few weeks' time. Oh, such a brilliant story of how God, A, how God speaks to us and can use us, but for a, for a purpose, for a reason, and how he wants to reach more and more people in, in our city. And I was thrilled to hear that story. And it reminded me that, you know, as we've been going through this series, I guess part of the reason we've been doing it is to prompt us, to prompt you that we, we need God. We, we need him. If we're going to complete the mission that God's called us to, if we're going to build a church in this city that's a bit like the church we read about in the New Testament, a church that loves the city that it's put in, that seeks to serve it and to bless it, that seeks to make Jesus famous in our city. If we're going to do that in a city like Amsterdam where there are so many challenges to us, so many barriers in front of us, so many people in our city who would never consider walking into a building like this, who if you told them you were a Christian, they might even laugh at you because they would think it was crazy to be able to reach a city like this. We need more than just ourselves. Sometimes I walk through this city and, and I just am aware of my own limitations. My goodness, if we're going to reach this city, wait, we need God. We, as I was talking about a minute ago, we're going to launch a new service to help us reach this city. And for that to work and be effective, we need God. <laughs> Strategies, plans, ideas, they're not bad things, but we need the power of God to break out amongst us. And not only do we need it for what God's called us to, but, but you need it for your own walk with God. Because again, you live in a society which is constantly preaching to you. You might have come in here today and think, oh, what's, what's the point of having someone stand up for half an hour and preach the Bible at me? You know, isn't that a bit old-fashioned? But all the time you're being preached at. All the time, the world around you is telling you what to think, what to believe, through what you see on the TV, what you read in the media, what you read on social media, what your friends, what your workplace is telling you. All the time, we're bombarded with messages that pull us in all sorts of different directions. And we need God, right? We need God to help us to get through our days, to help us to live lives that are worthy of the calling he's put on us. We need him, we need his power. And you're even deeper than that. All of us, part of the things we, we, we're taught in this world is that we have what we need within us, that we can be self-sufficient, that we can find everything we need. 
within ourselves to achieve what we want to achieve, to aspire to reach all our dreams, or even to overcome our struggles and difficulties, that if you search deep enough, you can find something deep within yourself. If you just try a bit harder, if you just live a bit better, But ultimately, one of the names the Holy Spirit is given in the Bible is the helper. And sometimes we just have to very humbly come before God and say, I need need some help. Helper, will you help me? Because none of us have what we need within ourselves. None of us have the sufficiency to really to follow Jesus. Or even to really even achieve what we want to achieve. You need help, you need God, you need his power. We started this series with a quote from William Tyndale who said, where the spirit is, there is always summer. If you wanna walk in the richness, the warmth of summer in your life, you need God. I'm not saying that everything will always be perfect, everything will always be easy but to live a life where we're overcoming those things by his power, we're able to find joy and hope and peace, even in the darkest seasons of our life. We need God, we need his power at work within us. And what we're gonna do today is we're gonna focus particularly on the book of Acts, which is a book called The Acts of the Apostles in the Bible, tells the story of the early church after Jesus' death and resurrection, um, how his disciples, his followers, then started to build his church, started to start new churches all around the Mediterranean, about how God used them. And you get a picture in that book of the sort of churches they believed and how they followed God, how they practiced their faith. So we're gonna look at that a bit today. And part of the reason we're gonna do that is because In the Bible, you find in the Old Testament and in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're they're looking forward all the time. They're pointing forward all the time. It's pointing to Jesus, pointing to what he's going to do, and and pointing towards this promise, the promised Holy Spirit. And then after that, you find in the epistles, in in the, the kind of the back end of the Bible, it's actually looking back, again, looking back to Jesus and what he's done, but also looking to the spirit that he sent to his church. And kind of this looking forward and this looking back, the book of Acts actually gives us quite a good picture of the kind of what was actually happening, kind of in the middle of that looking back and looking forward. So we're gonna look at that today. Because in the Old Testament you find, first of all we, we find the Holy Spirit at work in creation. If you go right very back to the first couple of verses in the Bible, we see the Holy Spirit work, the Spirit hovering over the waters. Holy Spirit's this creative power at work. He's a life giver. He's a person. He's not just an influence or a power, but we see him at work through the Old Testament, often coming to particular people to do a particular thing. He appears, uh, he, he comes upon David to help him at certain moments. He comes upon other people to help them in certain situations. But all the time there's this promise, there's this promise that one day there'll be a day when the fullness, the power of God will become on all of his people. So it says in Joel chapter two, this is towards the end of the Old Testament, it shall come to pass afterward 
that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in these days, I will pour out my spirit. Through the Old Testament, there's this promise. There's a a power of God, the power of God, the Holy Spirit is going to be sent to his people, that he will be poured out upon his people. And in Acts chapter 2, in the Pentecost story, Peter quotes these verses to underline what's going on there. You even find at the beginning of the, the New Testament, we see John the Baptist arrives, and he says this in, where is it? In uh, Luke chapter 3, John answered them saying, I will baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. He's talking about Jesus. The strap of whose sandals are not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And then even Jesus himself at the start of the book of Acts, it says, and while he was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus also said in John chapter seven, he said on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. We see that there's this promised Holy Spirit that through the Old Testament, John the Baptist, Jesus is saying, there's gonna come a moment where I'm gonna send my Spirit upon not just the church in Jerusalem, but across all of his church throughout all eternity. He's going to send his power, this promise that's going, to, that's going to come to us. And then if we go into the epistles, the later in the Bible, we see after the, the Spirit is sent, we see you get to read the story of these first churches. You get to read Paul's letters of how he wrote to them, how he encouraged them. He wrote to the church in Rome, said to them, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. The Holy Spirit came to strengthen the church. It says in Corinth that, that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth and he encouraged them to eagerly desire more of the Holy Spirit amongst them, to eagerly desire prophecy, to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. There's this sense as you go through the Bible that the Holy Spirit coming on these people isn't just this one-off occasion, but the Bible tells us to desire and hunger for more, for us to eagerly desire more of God in our lives. Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, and he reminded them that they've received the Spirit, but now they must keep in step with the Spirit. We've been, we're going to be working through this series that Wilson started last week, talking about the fruit of the Spirit. How God's put within us this fruit that will grow and flourish and burst into life. 
and how we're to, we're to feed that. We're to seek to see that grow, that there's more of God for us to help us. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, and he, he says that he, he prays for them, that they may be granted uh, to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in their inner being. So he writes them and says there's, there's more. He prays that they be strengthened by the power of God in their inner being. Deep within themselves, they'd be strengthened. As you get more and more into the Bible, you realize, particularly in the writings of the Apostle Paul, that he makes it abundantly clear that there is abundantly more. The New Testament is clear about that, that there's more of God for us. As believers in Jesus, there's more for us to receive. So what we're going to look at is what does it mean to be filled? We're going to look at the book of Acts and look at what was their experience of receiving the Holy Spirit, of being filled with him. First of all, it's, a, it's not a once-for-all thing. It's not what you read in the New Testament. It's not the Holy Spirit becomes once on his people and then end of story. There's a, that, where the, the verse we read at the start, Ephesians 5, where it says, be filled with the Spirit. Actually, the best way to translate that would be, be being filled. There's a present, continuous, an ongoing thing that we're supposed to be, do as believers is to keep on being filled, that we continually need more of God. And we read that's what happens in the book of Acts. So that we were looking at it back on Pentecost Sunday, the story of what happens in Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit comes on his church on Pentecost Sunday, says in verse 4 of Acts chapter 2, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So Pentecost Sunday, or Pentecost Day, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. But then in chapter 4 of Acts, this is probably just a few weeks later, you get this wonderful story of this prayer meeting that they have. This is the same church, the same believers, Peter and John and the other disciples in Jerusalem. It says, when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, see what I'm saying? In, in, in Acts 2, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. But there's more, because two chapters later, Acts chapter 4, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. There's more of God. It's not a once, one-time-only thing. There's more that we can receive from God. You find it in Acts chapter 13. It says the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. There's a writer called Gordon Fee who wrote a brilliant book called Paul the Spirit and the People of God, which is a, an abbreviated version of a longer book he wrote called God's Empowering Presence, which is a bit too big, but, uh, well, for my simple mind. But this is a much simpler abbreviated version, which goes through, it's basically like a theology of the work of the Holy Spirit. So if you want to know more about anything I've been saying, I thoroughly recommend this book. But what he says in this well, one of the things he says is, is, for Paul, the Spirit is the key to all of Christian life. And he implies frequently that there are further ongoing times of receiving the Spirit's empowering. You need more of God. 
And the wonderful, gracious thing about it is that he wants to give you more again and again and again. It's not like, oh, I've, I can't, you know, can I, can I go and ask him for more? You know, we often, we'll sit around the dinner table and we'll, uh, particularly there's one of our daughters that always wants more, <laughs> particularly if we eat lasagna, right? Which, lasagna is a good meal, it would be one of my top five meals, I think. But she, for her, it's like number one. And she always wants more. And sooner or later, you have to say, look, you, you actually will explode if we give you any more. Like, this is going to get messy. We need to stop. But when it comes to God, we can keep up coming and asking him for more. He's a good father who wants to pour out his spirit on us. And all the language around being filled with the spirit is, is about a pouring out. It, that word baptized, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That means the Greek word of that is to, to be drenched, to be plunged. The same way that we, when we baptize people in water, we get them and we plunge them deep into the water. So they're covered, drenched. That's how God wants to baptize you with his power. There's always more that he wants to give us. Now, of course, the Holy Spirit is at work in salvation. When we first come to know Jesus, the Holy Spirit is integrally involved in that. It says in Romans chapter, chapter 8, you, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So for every single one of us, when we become believers in Jesus, that's the Holy Spirit at work. That even before we ever knew that we wanted to follow him, the Holy Spirit was at work within our hearts, drawing us to him. You might be here this morning and you say, I'm definitely not a Christian. I definitely I don't even know what that word means. But maybe the reason that you are in this building this morning is because actually the Holy Spirit, that God is actually already at work within you, even to get you through the doors this morning. It wasn't an accident or a fluke a piece of luck, or maybe you're thinking it was a terrible mistake that you've ended up here. It was God. He drew you in here this morning because he wants to work in your life. The Holy Spirit is at work. There's a wonderful passage in, in Titus chapter 3 where it says, When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, not because of anything we've done, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. There's this regenerating power that comes within you when you become a believer in Jesus. That he comes and washes your heart clean. This renewal takes place within your heart. Elsewhere in the Bible it says we become a new creation. We're like new beings born again by his power, alive in God, his power within us. So the Holy Spirit is at work in salvation. But as well we see the Holy Spirit often comes to people in, in a new way, in a different way, in a fresh way after salvation, after they decide to follow Jesus. So again, you see in Acts chapter 2, they were already, none of them, they were already believers in Jesus. 
They were already gathered in the upper room, praying and seeking God. And then on the day of Pentecost, his power comes to them. After they'd already decided to follow him, there's a, a power of God that comes. And that's not just an isolated story. You see that happening again through the book of Acts. So in Acts chapter 8, perhaps the best illustration of this, the, uh, the apostles in Jerusalem, they hear about uh, this group of Christians who are in a place called Samaria, which is a little up the road from where they are in Jerusalem. And somehow this group in Samaria have, have heard, uh, not only have they heard of God, but they've become followers of Jesus. And you get this passage here. It says, now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. So they become followers of Jesus already, but they send Peter and John to go and pray for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. You can read similar stories elsewhere in, uh, in Acts chapter 10 at uh, Cornelius' house, at, in Acts 19 when Paul goes to Ephesus. There's debate in Ephesus about whether they were already believers in Jesus or not when Paul reaches them, but they'd been baptized uh, John's baptism, they repented of their sins, and then a little while later, they're filled with the power of God. His anointing comes upon them. Let me read this quote to you from uh, a preacher called John Piper. He says this, he's talking about uh, being uh, filled, receiving the Holy Spirit. He says, that experience may come in an unusual, decisive experience after conversion, a day, a week, a year, or a minute, followed by subsequent outpourings or fillings or baptisms of the Spirit periodically throughout life. Or that experience may come at the very moment of conversion, followed by lifelong subsequent experiences of empowering in the Holy Spirit. So my story is when, when I first became a Christian, uh, I thought I already was a Christian. Uh, I don't think I was, but I remember being in, a, uh, in, in a, a worship time like we were singing earlier today, and suddenly just being overwhelmed by the love of God, just in a way that I don't think I've ever experienced. I've never experienced up until that moment. I'm not sure I've ever really experienced it in the same way since, but just this overwhelming sense of his presence, of his nearness, of just his love and delight for me, not dependent on anything I'd done. And, and that was, I believe that was the Holy Spirit coming into my heart. And I think that's when I became a Christian. But I know of many other people in this room who would tell a different story, that they became a follower of Jesus, and then sometime later, they had an experience of God. Sometimes they kind of a felt experience where they, they, they literally felt the power of God. And other times, they didn't really feel anything, but they knew that God had come upon them, that he was suddenly at work. Sometimes months or years later, after they first decided to follow Jesus. Now, what I'm not describing, what I'm not telling you about is what some people would call like a second blessing, that there's a following Jesus and then there's a second blessing that comes. I don't believe in that. I believe in ongoing work of the power of God but we come and we receive him again and again and again. And I'm also not just trying to describe or advocate some kind of 
uh, kind of two-tier Christianity, that there's kind of the regular Christians down here, and then there's the spirit-filled Christians up here, because if our theology is right, we all have the Holy Spirit within us from the moment of conversion. But what you do find is that, as I've been trying to explain to you as we go through the New Testament, you see that there's more of God, and that even we can, the, the Bible talks about how we can quench the Holy Spirit, how we can grieve the Holy Spirit, how we can kind of deny or refuse or ignore the power of God in our lives, which suggests that there's more for us to step into of God. It's not about a two-tier Christianity, but there's a, something of us growing more into what he has for us, that there's a maturing that takes place within our hearts. And I think sometimes, often, that maturing is, is, a, is a day by day, a little by little, slowly growing in the grace of God, and that's the Holy Spirit, little by little, at work in your life, helping you to follow him. But then sometimes as well, God comes in power and just like presses the fast forward button in your life. I believe that's what happens when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Suddenly something changes. That's what happened to me. I just suddenly knew that Jesus loved me in a way that I didn't know before. That I understood it kind of intellectually. I understood it up here, but suddenly God just revealed it to my heart. And I think that's what God wants to do for some of you. He just wants to pour his love out into your heart. That's what it is to be filled with the Spirit first and foremost. It's about the Holy Spirit coming and revealing Jesus to your heart. Revealing his love for you, his care for you. John Stott said, uh, said this, what we need is not more learning, not more eloquence, not more persuasion, not more organization, but more power from the Holy Spirit. Let me read you another quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. He said, the issue before us is the state of the Christian church, her weakness, her lethargy, with a world on fire, a world going to hell, we're the body of Christ. But what do we need? The power, the Pentecostal power. We need as a church, you need as individuals, the power of God. I believe there's more of what he wants to do within us. That being filled with the Holy Spirit is to receive the resurrection power of God. So it talks about in Romans, that's, the Holy Spirit is the same power, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, is sent into us. And he's come into your life to raise you from your death into life in him, but also to give you the same power. You receive his power within you. And we see that because lots of times you could read about that in the Bible, but there's a a fascinating one in, in the story I told you earlier from Acts chapter 8, where Peter and John go to Samaria, and they pray for them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, there's a fascinating kind of footnote in that story of a guy called Simon, who was a magician. You wouldn't think there are many magicians in the Bible, but there he is. I don't know if he was pulling rabbits out of hats and that sort of thing, but there he is in the Bible story. And I think it will, the verses will appear on the screen from Acts chapter 8, and if they don't, I've got them written down here. 
It says, now when Simon, the magician, saw that the spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my, ha- my, lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. He offers to, to buy, which you can't do. Don't, don't offer me any money at the end for the power of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't work. But wh- why did he do that? He obviously saw something happen. <laughs> if he's a, ma- a magician, doesn't offer to buy something when there's no evidence, there's no fruit, there's no result. He saw Peter and John lay their hands on them and pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit. And obviously something happened for him to, to think, goodness, I, I'm, I'm, I want that so much, I'm going to pay money to get it. See, what, what, when the Holy Spirit arrives in your life or in the life of a church and a community, something happens, something changes. God's power is at work. Again, John Piper said that baptism in the spirit is extraordinary spiritual power for Christ-exalting ministry. I found it fascinating, even that story I told you earlier of that lady in Berlin. She was at a prayer meeting, just like there were in Acts chapter 4. I imagine maybe she was filled with the Spirit at that moment. And then she went onto this train, and God just gives her a name of someone sitting across the other side of the carriage. It was just God at work. When we receive God in us, something changes, something happens. You read about it in Acts chapter 19 when uh, Paul arrives and he prays for these men in Ephesus who've received John's baptism but haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit. It says, when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Something happened. The same thing happens in Acts chapter 2. They began to speak in tongues and prophesy when the power of God came upon them. Now, I'm not saying some people will teach that... um, the only way you can know you've been filled with the Spirit is if you receive the gift of tongues. Now, I don't believe that to be true. I believe the tongues is a gift, so you may or may not have the gift of tongues. If you have any questions about that, feel free to come and ask me afterwards. But it is something that the Bible tells us to, to desire, to seek after. The gift of tongues is this language that God gives us so that we can pray to him in words that we can't understand. And I know that often I'll face situations and moments where I don't know what to pray. I think, I don't, this issue's too hard. Or, or even I've just, I've prayed about this as much as I can. I've run out of words. And I'll pray in tongues. And I think, well, God, you understand this. <laughs> it's going to make much more sense than this English babble I'm pouring out. I'll pray in this language that you've given me instead. And something happens when I do that. God works when that takes place. And you might think that all sounds hocus pocus, but it's there in the Bible. It's a gift that God wants to give to us. So you might be completely filled with the Holy Spirit, but have never spoken in tongues. I would encourage you to, to ask for it. Just take a moment. You might just want to do it in your bedroom at home and just pray and say, God, this gift seems to be here in the Bible. I don't understand it, but would you give it to me? Ask for it and see what God does. Now, what I'm not saying is that 
to receive the Holy Spirit, we should expect a kind of inward thing to happen within us, that we should necessarily feel something. It can be how that happens, but often when you read about it in the New Testament, when the Holy Spirit comes upon people, the result is not a kind of inner transcendent experience, but is, a, is an outward experience. That God comes upon an individual or a group of people, and the result is something happens outside of them. That God builds his church. Yeah. When, I, when I look at the story of what God has done here through Liberty Church, and people ask me about that, and what did, what, what did we do? What, what was the strategy? What was the plan? And sure, we have plans and ideas, but this is a result of the Holy Spirit at work in our city. And he's just begun. There's so much more that God wants to do. When we first arrived here, I remember talking to, to even other church leaders in our city, and them saying things to me like, Amsterdam is the graveyard of church plants. This is where churches come to die. People said things like that to me. And yet, here we are. This isn't a result of any spectacular gifting on me or our team, but it's the power of God. He's chosen to build something by his grace through us and wants to do so much more in this city through his people. And we need to rely on his presence, his spirit, his power within us for that to happen. Now, I just want to close with a... Some of you might be thinking, well, what next? What do I do? First of all, I'd say, for some of you, you might need to shake off some of your skepticism because we're trained in our modern world not to believe in things like this and that kind of creeps into the church that we're trained not to think of God in any kind of supernatural way but the God of the Bible is real. We believe that. We can all believe that if you're believing in Jesus that Jesus is alive and not only is he alive he's sent his spirit into our hearts. He sent his power within us. It's just facts of the Bible. He has. So you might need to shake off some of your skepticism. And he sent his power, not only that he can go and do things through us, his mission, but also so that we might know him. That you might know God in a deeper way. You know, if, if you get into a relationship, if you get married, then you want to get to know each other more and more, right? That's what happens. But it's not because you, 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 it's not like when you get married, you get given like a manual, you know, this is your wife, learn all about her. <laughs> it's not how it happens, is it? I'm not saying the Bible isn't useful, of course, it's God's gift to us, to his church, but we also get to know God through experiencing him. You can know God intimately. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Helps you to know him. And you might, some of you as well, need to shake off some of your, um, perhaps even disagreement with what I've said this morning. Because the, the crucial question, it isn't when did you receive the Holy Spirit? Because some of you might have questions about that. The crucial question really is, are you seeking more of him? Because that is absolutely abundantly clear in the Bible that the first Christians, the early church, all the way through the New Testament, that they were seeking 
more of God. That again and again, they were coming to him and asking to be filled again and again and again. That they were humbly aware of their dependence, their need for more of his power at work in their lives. So that would be the question I want you to go away with today. Am I seeking more of God? Do I just come to church on Sunday and then just try and live life to the best of my abilities? Or am I day by day seeking more of him? Do I have moments when I just come to him and you know, get on my knees or throw my hands in the air or maybe even just quietly sit and say, God, would you fill me with your power again because I need you? I've got this challenge, I've got this interview, I've got this thing coming up. I want to tell that person about Jesus, I don't know how. Help me. Is that the desire that God's put in your life? Perhaps the final, perhaps the biggest question that some of you are wrestling with is, is well, do, do I have to be worthy? Do I have to reach some kind of special uh, achievement level, you know, get to the next level on the game, the next kind of stage of Christianity to receive this power? No. You're wonderfully, completely forgiven by the grace of God. The Holy Spirit has been at work in you to renew you, to regenerate your heart. And all of us can come and receive more of him, not dependent on anything you've done, but totally dependent on his grace. We finish with these words from Luke chapter 11. If you then, who are evil, know how to give, give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you we thank you that there's, by your grace, we can come and receive more from you, more of your grace, more of your love, more of your power in our lives. I thank you everybody that's here in this room today can ask for more. And they don't need to go and make any kind of sacrifice first. We don't need to sing a few songs to make us feel a bit holier. And each one of us can come and receive you again. I thank you, Holy Spirit. That's the first thing you do in our hearts is you come and reveal Jesus to us. That's the first thing that you keep doing in our hearts is you reveal the love of Jesus to us. All the time, Holy Spirit, you're always pointing to him. And I pray right now by your power you'd come in our hearts and point us back to Jesus. That where we've wandered, where we've sought to do things, our own strength, our own power, where we were afraid of the world around us. Pray, help us to come and receive from you again. Help us to humbly come and say, God, I need more of you. Maybe even for some of you for the first time, you just say, God, I want to be filled with the Spirit. Come and fill me. Come and pour out your love in an overflowing way. Come and lavish your grace, your presence in my life. Thank you, Jesus, that you're, you sent this promise to us. We believe in a God who's a good father, who loves to give good gifts to his children, who loves to pour out the spirit in our lives. We just want to receive you today. In Jesus' name, amen.